Peace is not the answer. The peace is not the missing part of a problem. Peace is the presence of Jesus. We've, everybody's looking for peace, but we assume that peace means that I'm absent of problems. That's not true. Peace means I know how things work out in the end, and because I know how they work out in the end, the presence of Jesus brings me peace. I'm listening to all kinds of podcasts about these Afghani Christians, and I'm blown away by their peace. They're literally they're like they're like, well, if it's my time to be a witness, then it's my time. Does anybody know what that word witness means in the New Testament? Come on. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. means to be martyred. They said if it's our turn to die, then it's our turn to die, but we will not stop. I want you to know that 11.30 last night when you went to bed, the churches in Afghanistan met, every one of them. They said we will not stop what we do. They know where we're at, and if they want to come get us and kill us, that's on them. But we're going to preach the gospel. The second fastest growing church in the world right now is in Afghanistan. Iran's number one, Afghanistan's number two. Maybe. Yeah. See, I give you all this information and I don't charge anything. It's crazy. It's crazy. But... Um, I'm, I'm astounded at that kind of courage. But you know where that kind of courage comes from? It comes from oppression. And when things are soft, we become soft. That's why I said it's high time that the church get tough and quit thinking, well, I just want peace. Man, I don't want any problems in my life. That's not how it works. Peace is not the emphasis of problems. It is the presence of Jesus. And we, we, let me tell you how, how we try to create peace. We try to create peace by buying things. We try to create peace through addictions. Maybe I'll just get high enough that I won't remember. We'll take any route except the route that God has given us. And in the passage that we're going to look at today in Isaiah 48, two passages that you know real well, you had no idea they were in Isaiah 48. It says, you can have peace like a river. Anybody grow up in Sunday school? I've got peace. Yeah. And then the last verse in the chapter says there is no peace for the wicked. Two, two phrases you've probably heard all your life, but you had no idea where they were from. Stand. Let's read God's Word. Beginning in verse 17. Bring your Bibles. Never trust your pastor. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel... I am the Lord your God. I teach you what is best for you, who directs you in the ways you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be cut off nor destroyed from before me. Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy, and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when we led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. But there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. You can be seated. 
Now, I want to tell you that the worship is all backloaded today. So if you're at Palm Bay, land here, <clears throat> don't leave. Don't leave for two reasons. Number one, you'll, you'll not understood everything. I, if you say, well, I got what he said, I can leave. If you get what I say, you won't leave because the entire point of what we're talking about is staying and the power that comes with corporate worship. And let's just be honest, all right? And I'm, I'm not, they're probably not paying attention, but we have the best worship team maybe in the country. And, um, and this, this set that they're going to close with, I promise you, one guy said it last night, God was in the house. And uh, you, 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 will, you will feel that. But I have to tell you, Luann and I were out, we were out at dinner the other night and, um, well, this guy came up to rob us and uh, he pointed a gun at my wife and he said, you're laughing because we were getting robbed? I... Guy pulls the gun out and he points it at my wife and says, give me all your money. And he says, what's your name? She said, Luann. He goes, oh man, I can't steal your money. My mom's name, Luann. Then he pointed his gun at me. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Joe, but my friends call me Luann. <clears throat> All right, let's get to work. So how do I find this peace? <clears throat> because God says through Isaiah that I can have peace like a river. He said, if you would have only done what? Kept my commandments. Now, we live in a time, and listen, I'm all about grace, but we've misappropriated what that word means. Grace, redemption, as it's used here, means that Jesus forgives me. Yes, he does. Jesus died for me. He died for you and me so that we would be saved, but also so that he would change us. So that he would change us. Can I keep the commandments? No, I cannot. Can I do better than I'm currently doing? Yes, I can. That is the goal that we're supposed to be looking at. But too often now, you hear in our churches, it's grace, 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 and never any responsibility. Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, Noah was saved. What did he do? He built the ark. Do you see any work there? Noah could have said, well, look, I'm saved by faith. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do that ark thing, God. He would have died, right? Right? By faith, Abraham took his son up on the mountain in Jerusalem to offer him as a sacrifice. What if he just said, God, I trust you. It's all good. I'm not going up the mountain. See, we want to separate the two because people think they can't be mutually together, and they certainly can. By faith I am saved through grace, but when I'm saved, my works will follow. When I plant an apple tree, it produces apples. That is correct. Now, everybody's on a different place, a different journey. But he said, if you would have only kept my commandments, I would have blessed you. Your seeds would have been like the sand on the, on the shore. Generation after generation, you would have been blessed. You would have had peace like a river. Well, the implication is they did not keep the commandments. Well, so what am I supposed to do? We'll go back and read, start with the 10 commandments. There's, there's five, 613 commandments, <clears throat> but the 10 are the big ones there. And Jesus summed those 10 up in two 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, you'll find the Ten Commandments. And they're given there not as suggestions, but as a reminder that God's people live differently. And he said, if you want peace, you've got to act differently. You've got to change things in your life and obey the commands of God. The state of Oregon, I don't know if you're from Oregon, you may not want to recognize yourself just yet. Uh, the state of Oregon just came out with this edict last week that they are suspending any requirements for reading or math to graduate from high school. Now, I'm not real smart, but I pondered this. If you take reading and math out, what exactly do you have? You can't do history. You can't do science. I don't know what you would actually do in class. Maybe that's the point. Now, the point, I think, there is to dumb down a society so we don't know enough to speak up about what's right and what's wrong. But the danger is in the body of Christ where we fall into the same trap. And I, I hate to pick on preachers, but I'm going to. I, I am listening to this stuff now, and I'm hearing it from high, high-profile people, and it scares me to death. And, and it goes like this. Well, the Bible only mentions that once. The Bible only mentions that twice. All right, let me take you back to my childhood. My father says, Joe, don't touch that. So I went over and grabbed it, and Dad said, You know what? I only told you once, so it's okay. I would not be standing here today to speak to you had I done that. When my dad told me something, he expected that I would listen. Now, I will tell you that I don't believe what they say for a minute. You give me any theme you want to talk about, sexuality, homosexuality, uh, gay marriage, um, abortion, you name it, any of the hot topics today, and I'll give you 50 verses to support <coughs> what the Bible says about it. And yet we live in a time where preachers get up and say, well, that's only mentioned once or twice. How many times does God have to tell you something before it's true? One time. One time. Check this out. There are 6,600 languages in the world. Did you know that? 6,600. Free. All right. 6,600 languages. We're still trying to get all the last few translated in, in the Bible translated for those. But everything God wanted to say to every people group in all time is right here. That's all he needed. And so if he said it once, that should be enough, shouldn't it? And yet, if you're looking for a loophole, well, you can find one. You see, they no longer say, they used to say, well, that's not in the Bible. And then somebody stands up and said, well, can I read this passage to you in Romans 1? Or can we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 6? And all of a sudden, it's like, well, it's, it's not that it's not there, but God is progressing. And the church has to progress with it. And it's really only mentioned once or twice. That's a dangerous place. Get out of that church. Get out of that church. God's Word says what it means. Means what it says. It's there. All right, John 14, 15, Jesus said it this way. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I've got faith. I'm saved by grace. Great, I believe that. But 
I should be showing evidence <clears throat> through my life transformation, through my service, through my actions, that I am a different person than I was before I came to Christ. That is a progressive issue. <clears throat> now let me show you a picture. We always go through this. Well, how can I, how can I trust the Bible? And you'll notice Satan always goes after Genesis 1. So I always defend Genesis 1. All right, here's a picture of the Grand Canyon. There we go. All right, here's the Grand Canyon. This is Mount St. Helens in Oregon. Remember the volcano that blew up? Okay, let me help you. All right, supposedly this took billions of years to happen. The problem is this canyon, anybody know how long it took? 24 hours. When Mount St. Helens blew up, this canyon was created in 24 hours, and it looks just like this one. See the rock stratification? You won't hear evolutionists talk about this. They don't want to talk about this canyon because it has a lot of problems for this canyon. But you get enough water and enough force, you're going to blow a canyon out in a big hurry. You don't need billions of years. You just need enough water. Watch New Orleans and the tragedy that's playing out there. It's, it's not about how long it takes. It's about how much water shows up. Am I right? Does that make sense? That's why we trust the Word of God, because God's Word can truly be defended. Secondly, he says, sing praises. <clears throat> this is interesting. He says, if you want to have peace, you need to learn how to worship. And he said, when you are... Release from Babylon, you should leave with singing and praising and shouting because God is restoring the land of Israel. Okay, I had the hardest time with this. I wrestled with this for two weeks. Here's the problem. They're not in Babylon yet. They're still in Jerusalem. He's looking 70 years ahead and he says, when you come back from Babylon... So he's giving them hope. <clears throat> it's like when I say, when Jesus comes back to get us, that's what he's given them, is that kind of hope. He says, when you come back, you should come back with praises and shouts of joy. Why? Because God lives inside our praises. When you sing, when you worship, when you clap, when you raise your hands in dependence to God, God moves amongst His people. And that's what we're going to give you the opportunity to do here in just a little bit. But here's, here's what I want you to see. He says, but when you came back, you didn't really want to sing. Because when they went to Babylon, they stay there for 70 years, there are millions of Israelites that are now in Babylon. When Nehemiah leads the people back to restart Israel, does anybody remember how many people came back? 50,000. 50,000. There were millions that stayed in Babylon. You know why? I'll tell you why. See, the Babylonians took a different approach. Rather than killing everybody like a lot of conquerors did, Babylon wanted to incorporate you because you were just a money-making machine for them. So they would bring you in. They would change your name. They give you a Babylonian name. You worship Babylonian gods. Next thing you know, you have a Babylonian house and a Babylonian business and a Babylonian chariot. And you're not interested in being an Israelite and a follower of God anymore because you have a Babylonian life. Do you see how the world's tried to do that to us? 
And we get, we get our world so connected here that we forget this is not my home. My home is in eternity. Maybe that's why the Afghan Christians are so willing to say, Lord, whatever happens, happens, because I'm going to a place that is so much better than this. But the idea of worship gets lost. And listen, <clears throat> there's so many ways to worship, but it has to be participa participatory. You can't just sit there. Well, I didn't get anything out of it. No, it's because you didn't put anything into it. When you invest, when you sing, when you clap, when you cry, when you laugh, whatever it is, but when you're participating, that's when the power of God moves. Psalm 96.1 says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That's what we're called to do. That is the message that we have been challenged with by God. Uh, lastly, where time's running here, is to drink from the water. Oh, we worked that out, didn't I? This one, this one just totally got me because, again, he's talking about what's going to happen. And he said, I brought water out of the desert, but you guys weren't thirsty. I split the rock and gave you water, but you weren't thirsty. I'm like, well, no, that oh, the, the story he's describing happened 400 years earlier. He's talking about when Moses led the people out of Egypt, and when, when he brought them across, do you remember what they whined about? One time they said, we don't have meat, and another time they said, we're going we're gonna to die out here in the desert because there's no water. And he told Moses to hit the rock, and water came out of the rock and gave water to millions of people. Do you remember that story? Yeah. That's what he's referring to, but he's talking in the future. He said, when you come back from Babylon, sadly, nobody's, nobody will be thirsty. He said, the same God that brought you through the same desert, brought your ancestors through, the God who provided water for you, I bring you through the desert and nobody's thirsty. He's talking about the Word of God, folks. Don't you remember when Jesus ran into the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4? And he goes up to her, and a, a, a good rabbi would never hang out with a Samaritan. He certainly would not hang out with a woman, and he would not hang out with a woman who had a very sullied reputation. And Jesus walks up to her, and he said, Would you please give me water to drink? And she said, Sir, if you knew who I, if you know who I am, you would not ask me for water. And Jesus said, Honey, if you knew who I am, you would know that I can give you living water so that you will never thirst again. It's an incredible story. The disciples come back and they're like, what, what, what are you doing? This, this is not right. The disciples in, in character here, they do nothing. Do you know what that woman did? That woman went back to her town and she said, guys, you got to come out and hear this guy. He knows everything about me and he loves me anyway. That's the kind of water he's talking about. He's talking about water that transforms our souls. Now listen, we live in a culture, this, I watch these things every year. 50% of American pastors say they have no idea how to tell somebody to get to heaven. That's pretty tragic. Harvard University, did you see this story? <clears throat> they just picked the new head of their chaplain program. He's an atheist. 
You can make this stuff up. Look it up. Look it up. Harvard was started as a, a, a college to train preachers to preach the Word. <coughs> That's where we find ourselves. So my job, <clears throat> my job today is to make you thirsty. To make you want more of God, more of prayer, more of His Word. I want you, I want you to dig in. I want you to thirst for God like you do for water on a hot, muggy day. That's what God has called us to. Don't trust me. Don't trust the pastor. I'm telling you, I hear so many bad messages and I realize that God's holding me accountable. And so the best thing I can say to you is never trust me. Trust the Word of God. That's, that is the core. That is the core of what we do. I get the privilege of leading us into communion. So I'm going to kind of finish my sermon, do communion at the same time. I've got here a picture of Tom Brady. That's Tom Brady at Michigan. And I put him in his Buccaneers jersey just to upset you Boston people. And uh, <clears throat> I, knew that would get, I knew that would win points. Um, here's the crazy thing about this story. Tom Brady was drafted in the 2000 NFL draft. He was drafted number 199. He was the seventh quarterback taken in the draft. Ten Super Bowls, he's won seven. Kind of hard to argue that he's the greatest, whether you like him, don't like him, whatever. But he's got seven rings to back it up. And would have had nine except for a couple of incredible plays. I mean, it's, the, man is, the man is really a legend. I mean, there's things there that are, that are hard to figure out. But he was the 199th pick. And you know what? Most of us that are sitting here today, we're not number one draft choices. You look at yourself and you think, yeah, I'm not sure I'd even go in the third round. And in fact, if God was picking a team, I, I would be way down the list. But you know, God has a way of picking people that he knows will listen to him and that are willing to change. God's not looking for the most talented, the most brilliant. He's looking for the person who is most willing to change and who's open to the truth about Jesus Christ. If you need to accept Jesus to find that peace, right over here there's a sign, decision, there'll be folks there, people to pray for you here, online, button, I've decided. Maybe you're not a number one draft choice, but Jesus picked you anyway. That's the whole point of the gospel, is that Jesus died. See, this is the thing. Jesus died for the Taliban. Do you understand that? That's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I'm mad. But Jesus died for them. His blood is as good for them as it is for me. Because I'm as guilty as they are. And if you haven't figured that out, you've missed the gospel. It's not because I'm good that I'm saved... I'm saved because Jesus is good. All right? Yeah. So I don't know what round you would have gotten drafted. And I hesitated to tell this story. I don't like to tell personal stories. But <clears throat> this, one I, this one I'm going to tell you. <clears throat> Even when I graduated from Bible college, and Pastor Cord will back me up on this, I would have been voted the least likely person to speak in public, Never lead a church, never pastor a church, and certainly never pastor a good church. I would go, they would send me to these churches to preach, and I would preach 
and I would, you'd be, you'd be there, but I would preach to that wall because I was so insecure. And I would preach sometimes some brilliant messages right to that wall. And I tell you that because I promise you I was a very low draft choice. And anything good you see, God gets all the credit because I didn't have it. Sometimes God says, you know what, I don't need the best. What I need is the ones who are willing. So if you'll take your cup that you have. In fact, if you didn't get a cup, we have folks in the back that will bring them to you. If you raise your hand, they'll bring these to you if you didn't get your communion cups. And listen, this is, <clears throat> this is not exclusive. This is not, um, this is not about Tomoka Christian Church. This is about the kingdom of God. We don't care about your background. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is open. The bread is there to remind me that I was not the first round draft choice. Jesus was. And Jesus lived that perfect life and he died for my sin and for yours. The blood that was shed, again, not only was I not the number one, I was way down the list and the blood cleanses us of all of our sin. So Jesus, we thank you now that you have come to bring us peace. Not a time with an absence of problems, but a time with the presence of Jesus. So as we worship, may we worship the way the Afghan Christians are worshiping today. May we worship with the persecuted church today. May you hear our praises as we sing together in Jesus' name. Amen.